0: It's time for one more exciting podcast adventure. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Pre Accident Podcast. I am the host of this deal, and my name's Todd Conklin, and uh, I'm having an exciting day. I cannot believe it's March. You, you, I, I don't want to sound old, Manny. Okay, and I can sound old, Manny. I got it in me. But you turn around and you're like, "What happened? It's March. What really? It's March." But then you remember that Feb is a shorty—28 days she has—and so I guess it moves quicker for all of us anyway. Somehow, I mean, I don't know. You figure it out. It's all kind of complicated because it has to do with time. But uh, that's uh thats pretty much. The uh, lowdown, blowdown for me. Uh, life's grand, of course, because it's, it seems like when I sit down to do the podcast, all these things are pretty good, so I don't really have anything to complain about. No exciting adventures. I am pleased to tell you that the Biscuit Cinnamon Roll podcast got some legs in the aviation community. <laughs> when we have some time, I'll tell you that whole story. But that's exciting and fun. And other than that, um, geez, I don't know. It's just it's just kind of the uh it's kind of the thing we got going man it's uh it's fun uh gosh i there's a couple really exciting podcasts coming up um not that this one's great so don't get me wrong i'm not it's, this is a this is a killer good podcast but i've got one on metrics coming up soon that i think you'll really dig it's uh it's one you've requested a lot and metrics is that's a complex problem, and so it takes time to think about it. And I think you'll find this one uh, very interesting. It's certainly the beginning of the discussion, but I think it's a really good beginning. And and so that's a that's a kind of an exciting thing to look forward to as well. Today we're going to talk to our buddy, you know him and love him, Gareth Locke, And um, Gareth was on the podcast. I guess we figured three years ago, you'll hear us talk about it a little bit. And um, if you don't know Gareth, he's applying these kind of new safety ideas, the safety differently ideas, to uh, diving, to underwater diving. And um, it's really quite compelling. He's got a huge presence on the web. He writes a lot, publishes a lot. You've probably seen his stuff. Um, And he's he's, he's finished a book. And I guess the book started because (laughs) – He's so compelling that I th- I said you ought to write a book. I mean, it seems and it looks like he did it. I mean, he just went out and did it. But it's kind of it's it's not a book like um like the stuff I I produce. It's really more of a case study collection, which I find really interesting. And it's a case study collection specifically around diving, but diving and human factors, safety differently, new view stuff, and so. It's it's really quite exciting. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool because it's got all these case studies. And then he has discussions around these case studies applying b- the stuff we talk about all the time for, you know, stuff that's not underwater. Because most of us aren't underwater that much. Although some people who listen to this podcast are underwater, um, either financially, psychologically, or actually. Those three choices, you can pick the one that's best for you. The book is called Under Pressure. Diving Deeper with Human Factors, and it's actually available 12th of March on, um, uh, you know, the places where you get books, Amazon, all those kind of places. It's really promising because it has 30 case studies from really pretty high-level divers around the world, and, and they're, they're the kind of people that do, you know, exploring wrecks and cave diving, which we learned a lot about because of the Thailand event with the students, underwater photography, um, and it's it's case studies. So it's real stories about either near misses, disasters, or interesting successes. And the aim of this book really is to transfer and translate knowledge from high-risk domains, you guys know who you are, oil and gas, aviation, healthcare, um, uh, high-level, high-risk construction, utilities, all the stuff we do, transfer that knowledge into really the diving world to improve both the performance of divers and, I think, more importantly, the reliability of divers. And it's a pretty interesting conversation. It's, it's, it's one that's out there. And Gareth is kind of, I don't know, he's kind of on a grand world tour uh, doing a lot of conferences and, and and the interest level he has for this stuff is really high, so I thought, well, you know, let's let's connect back with him, and talk about this book because I wanted to hear from him, really what this book's all about, and it's pretty it's it's actually super interesting because partially the project's interesting and the rest of it is the fact that Gareth is just super interesting, the way he thinks about the things we think about around reliability and stability, and then applies them to diving is it's, it's definitely worth your drive into work this morning or you're walking the dogs this weekend or whatever it is you're doing while you listen to the podcast. Thanks for being a part of this podcast. It, it's um, it's amazing to me how fast it's grown and how big it's become and how uh, much impact it has for people who listen and for people who are on it. it it's kind of a double whammy. It's definitely fun for me. I was just asked today, if um if the podcast feels like a commitment, and uh, I don't I hadn't thought of it that way. I think the answer is probably no because if it felt like a commitment, I think I would probably not do them or do way less, way fewer. I think is the more correct way to say that. Um, but right now, I think it's a really good way to build community, and I'm glad you're a part of it. So tell your friends, um, you know, write us a review because that seems to matter. Although I still haven't figured out why. But most importantly, just keep listening and sit back and listen. Gareth and I are going to have this discussion around this new book. But what we really talk about is around the processes and kind of his thinking um, in, in putting this book together. And it's worthwhile. So sit back and relax and enjoy the Pre-Accident Podcast with our buddy Gareth Locke and the power of scuba diving.
1: Well, it's interesting time since two years or so since we last spoke.
0: I know. Do you remember doing it two years ago? I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Actually, I think it's longer than that. I bet it is. I bet it's three years. I think it's
1: three years because we moved house two years ago. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I do remember sitting up there and having the call before thinking, well, this is very interesting times.
0: That's right. Did you go back and listen to it and, and hear how smart you were?
1: Uh, I'm not very smart. I just joined dots with lots of other people that go, that's a good idea. That's a good idea, and uh, and I just try and bring some
0: some ideas together. Well, now one could argue that is the definition of smart. Yeah, I suppose so. It's, uh, Synth- in fact,
1: it was a discussion we had yesterday.
0: <laughs> we would call it synthesis, wouldn't we? Synthesis. Well, isn't, isn't that the yeah, word?
1: Definitely. Yeah, something like that. Make, making, yeah, that's like way down on that sort of knowledge thing. That, yeah, I know what you mean now yeah we talked about that the The bridge between academia and practitioners is taking that really bright stuff that sits in academic papers and turning it around so people can use it
0: right and uh and making the world a better place what what's changed in your life since we last talked i mean are are you thinking differently? I didn't go back and listen. I should have went back and listened ah that's all right um what's changed um I've realized that
1: uh academia is a nightmare of a place to be. So my um, my sort of part time PhD that was on that we were talking about when I was the, the last time is on hold at the moment um, because I'm very much in the practitioner space uh, rather than write for the sake of writing. Um, I want to do the education piece, um, and so I took a big gamble last year and threw everything into the diving world realizing that I couldn't split my time between non-diving, so oil and gas and healthcare and business and things like that, and the diving world. And uh, it's all sort of taken off. There's a lot more interest in the classes I teach, um, and it's
0: gradually getting some traction. And so, – about uh, go on, sorry. Who who do you work with in the diving world? Who's who's with you? Um. There's a couple of, well, it's interesting, at the individual level, I have a number of
1: sort of, you know, I've got a a tribe, I suppose you would call it, the supporters that I've got, um, who recognize the value that I'm bringing to the diving industry. Um, And when they are, as individuals with their individual hat on, they're very supportive. It's much more difficult when they put their training agency hat on. Uh, within the position of an organization because it's a very commercially competitive market. And if anybody adds additional content like human factors or non-technical skills training, um, that's seen as a barrier to uptake. Even though it's, it should be considered value, um, it's, it's a difficult, uh, difficult place to be. So I, I have relationships with the majority of the major training agencies um, like uh, Paddy, um, INTD, or Nawi, or Global Underwater Explorers, um, and and trying to make inroads into their training programs, but it's a it's a difficult thing because CRM and non-technical skills and human factors is such an intangible um, product as such. It's this piece of so how do we make money out of this? It's like that's not what it's about. Not in my view anyway
0: is there still a lack of a lack of information around investigations and failure oh
1: massive um the uh, the investigations and incidents and accidents are all primarily around litigation Um, the majority of the diver training agencies are based in the states so it's all about liability and transference and having a, an air gap between the training organizations and the frontline operators. So when divers go into a dive center, their their relationship or their professional contract is with the dive center and the training agencies, what they do is they say, if you follow our standards, um, we'll back you up. But if you step outside our standards, then you're on your own and you're going to have to rely on insurance. So liability is a big issue. And there's potentially a bit of willful blindness going on because from the, the organization's point of view is if it doesn't land, if it's not our problem, we're not interested um, from that perspective. So it's quite a depressing place to be. So most the investigations are about blame um, and who do we sue and whose fault is it. Um, so there are a number of avenues that I'm trying to change attitudes to. And one of those is just culture. And, and it, it's slowly getting there, but we still have a lot of personal biases, that it's easy to, to blame people for being stupid. Um, and that, that constant question I ask is, so why did it make sense? They must have made sense. Ah, oh, because they're stupid. No, it's not. <laughs> It's
0: not that at all. What's, what's your technique? How are you getting into these, these conversations?
1: Um, I write a lot. Um, I write a lot on LinkedIn, um, and that's predominantly or primarily non-diving, but I, I'm putting more, more of my, my diving stuff out there because professionals dive too. Um, but I've got a, a Facebook group um, uh, with about 4,000 people in it, um I speak regularly at conferences um and do lots of traveling so it's it's primarily word of mouth uh, pretty much all of the classes that I teach um uh, more people should be in the training agencies materials this is how we stop accidents from happening is understanding fallibility and and developing human performance
0: do you see changes happening um yeah, I do actually. Uh, um,
1: uh, it, it's great when I hear back from sort of third parties that say, "Oh, I was discussing a uh, an incident and and the, the need to look at it from the perspective of you know why did it make sense," uh, and that person will then turn around and go, "You sound just like Gareth Locke does," and it's like, <laughs> "Yes, I have no idea who they are, but the word is getting out there." So, uh, and that makes me feel good, definitely. Um, but there's still a a large education piece to do, definitely, and and that's that's you know I, I spend say a lot of time writing blogs and engaging in forums um, and conferences, uh, and that's uh, has got limited reach. I think um, I, I need to get into the training agencies and get that flow down from from them because that's that's where education is is developed um, from for, from within the community.
0: How about commercial um, diving? Commercial diving, does that have any legs to it? I mean, is that good or bad? It's,
1: um, it would definitely have legs. In terms of commercial diving, yes, there's there's definitely a, an opportunity there. The downside for, for commercial diving is most of it's tagged on to uh, the oil and gas, or that's where the high-level stuff is, and the, the training money within oil and gas is is very limited. The other downside of of diving is it's a very closed network environment. Um, I've spoken to people in the deep south um, about trying to get into diving, and it's like, this this is how we've always done it. Uh, And the same thing from sort of the North Sea environment. It's very much about compliance, and there is nothing, even in oil and gas, that mandates uh, crew resource management or human factors training. And individuals are not going to pay for that themselves uh, they would want the clients or the suppliers to do it. And there isn't that major uh, commercial uh, need to do this uh, from from that perspective. It, it boils down to it's a pretty industry at the moment, and there's not that many people dying uh, or getting injured. So what we're doing at the moment must be good enough.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea uh, that's, that because it's stable, it's safe is really attractive. Oh, yes, yes, very much so.
1: And, and, and that's, that's where my biggest challenge in, in the recreational environment, the sport, technical diving environment, is um, we manage risks ourselves. And, and we look at these things and think, well, that dive went okay. It, it must have been safe. Um, and because they've got no real idea of what good looks like in, in terms of human performance or human factors, non-technical skills, it's not until somebody actually exposes to them in an experiential manner because they look at this and go yeah yeah well i already do this and then you you run through some some gaming or some simulations and then they go ah so that's what you mean by you know human factors or non technical skills um, and that's yeah that's the the, the constant challenge is, is the education that's there we we always love to read about people's mistakes and, and that's the most popular Blog types that i that I get feedback on is let's read about somebody's screw up and and see where they are because I wouldn't do that, and I spend a lot of time drawing parallels from other events, normal daytime life and say those same mistakes that say that or those same behaviors that say you left your keys behind or you picked up the wrong milk from the fridge or um you signed the wrong date on a check or those are exactly the same things. That lead us to incidents and accidents, um, and so we need to educate those people to, you know, to to recognise their own fallibility in in themselves, not just in others. Because it's easy to to look at others and go, oh, I wouldn't do that.
0: So maybe it sounds like you kind of need a book or something, a movie, a book, something. <laughs> well, funny you should say that. And, and in fact, that was
1: three years ago. Um, that was something that you suggested, and he said, "Well." You know, what about a book because i think I, I was talking about reading yours in in terms of uh pre pre-action investigations uh and the, the linking with um decker's field guide to understanding human error and i'd sort of hummed and hard and and last year i i finally bit the bullet and said right i'm gonna do this um but recognizing that it, it couldn't be a boring textbook It would have to be about real stories um, of of people's successes and failures Um, and so the summer of last year i wrote to probably about 50 or 60 of some leading names within the, the, the diving industry and said look i'm looking to put a book together they all know me personally they know the work that i'm trying to do they're all supportive of that work and i said i'd like you if you're willing to write a story about something that went well or didn't go well. And I would like you to spend about a thousand to 1500 words talking about that story. um, So that we capture the context and I got a pretty good response rate. Um, I got about 40 stories
0: came back. That's um, incredible. uh, Are you kidding me? That's that's uh, (laughs) that's that's two thirds response rate. That's that's crazy good
1: it it was it's brilliant and and some of the stories are just quite amazing and yeah the what what i really wanted to do and with the exception of two or three they are all named contributors as well wow um because they recognize that even though some of these were quite phenomenal mistakes that you know fortunately didn't end up in in a fatality but were a knife's edge from being away from it Um, and they could talk about recognizing that i'm not there to put blame that they know that this would be a constructive story that goes with it so i've got um yeah more than 30 stories are included in the book now um it's over 12 13 chapters and each of the chapters has got two or three stories in it Um, which goes into a lot of detail. And and those those chapters cover human error, systems thinking, just culture, psychological safety, decision-making, situational awareness, teamwork, the the sort of real human performance and non-technical skills framework Um, and showing the theory in reality, in practice. Um, And the feedback that I've had has, has been really good. And part of that, education process about the book which is coming out in in march um was was to get people interested to start with so in december last year i wrote or i put three of the chapters together one which was about what is what is this about you know what's the book about uh, and then human error and then decision making and so far there's been Nearly two and a half thousand downloads of that ebook. It's a 60 page ebook. Uh, it was free for people to, to basically look at and with a view to saying, what's this book about and what can I learn from it? Um, so there is a, a desire out there. Well, I believe there is. Uh, I hope there is when, when the book goes online. Um, and the fact that it's going to be named individuals who talk about their stories will hopefully start to change attitudes towards the ability to talk about the mistakes we make. Nobody, you know, the classic, nobody gets up in the morning and says, today's a great day to die, to get bent, to lose their camera gear, to get stuck in the back of a cave system. Um, it, it all makes sense. And that, that has been really good. That, that's, that's made me sort of very proud of part of the diving community that says we can help others learn from our own personal mistakes and our own personal successes uh, from that perspective. So
0: So do you, do you tell the case studies and then do you discuss sort of some human factors, human performance stuff around each case study?
1: Yes. So each, uh, each of the stories goes, um, uh, is, is slotted into the chapter, which I think, fits best but as with any of these human performance and non technical skill things they're all interdependent uh, and it's one of the things that I'm really keen to to press home to people is it's you've got to take them all together they are interdependent in nature that you know you could develop leadership but if you don't understand how decision making works or how situational awareness works or how how to communicate then it's not a complete picture so each of the case studies um they they tell their own narrative. They may have provided some um their own lessons identified, learned from that perspective. And then I spend um probably about another five hundred words or so talking about that incident and the key factors which came out of it. And then I segue into some theory, the sort of stuff that's in safety at the sharp end or the field guide to understanding human error, um, those sorts of pieces, and then take it into another story and then dissect that in terms of human factors and human performance and then a bit more theory and then wrap it up with some key points um and one of the bits that i've I've learned recently from reading a a couple of books is asking questions at the end of the chapter to say what does this mean to you reflect on your own activities uh, to try and bring
0: it to life for the reader so is it a pretty, we, is it exciting? It sounds like a great read. Like I read a book, I read a book a long time ago called Death Comes to the Grand Canyon. And it was all just case studies of fatalities in the Grand Canyon. It was an incredible read. This sounds like it could be the same. Well,
1: here's, here's a story that'll will get you going. So there's a guy who's exploring a cave system in Mexico, a uh, really well-known explorer. Um, and he's gone to survey a cave on his own, cave diving on his own. Uh, which most people go. Why would you go diving in a cave anyway? But that's the same as why climb Everest. So he's gone in to do this this exploration, and they have a lifeline. There's a line that that basically they tie off onto the bottom of the cave or the, the stalactites and stalagmites, rocks, whatever. That is your one way out to the surface. And so he's scootering along. He's got a diver propulsion vehicle, like a torpedo, um, towing himself through to this, and the visibility drops to almost zero. Which he was sort of expecting, but um, that's why the line is there. So he slows down, and then he's in touch contact with the line. can't see where he's going, but he's basically now swimming through zero visibility. And after a little while, he comes out the other side and then starts the surveying and the exploration in this this flooded cave. So he finishes his survey, and he starts coming back, and he reaches the, the point where the visibility drops to zero. There's silt or debris in the water. So he um, holds on to the line and he starts swimming in to the cave uh, into the, the, the zero visibility. And now his arm is going down into the silt in the bottom of the cave, um, which it wasn't doing before. And this is his only way out is this line. And he gets to the stage where his his arm is now completely submerged in this silt and it's up to his shoulder. Oh um, and he can't and he can't go any further um and, and it's zero visibility so he can't see where he's supposed to be going it's like what do i do so he backs up and he gets to the point where the line comes out the silt and he puts a little plastic marker on the line and he unclips his scooters and puts those there and he reaches behind him to uh, for a, a safety spool which is uh, a small line maybe 30 40 meters of line that you use in, in emergencies where you need to find something in zero visibility But as he reaches back, that line, isn't that that spool's not there. It's been dropped somewhere in the cave system. So now he's in a situation where the only way out of the cave is following this line, but he can't do it. So he makes a decision to let go of the line and swim in what he thinks is a straight line through this cloudy water and hope that he picks up the line on the other side. Um, And he does this, and he, he swims off And then he hits the wall of the cave and he doesn't find the line that he's looking for. So now he's still in zero zero visibility and not really sure where he is. So he turns around as best he can to do a 180 degree turn, swims back in a straight line, and he comes across the marker and the scooter. So he's back at the starting place. And it's like, okay, what do I do? Well, I'll just offset a little bit and swim out again and see if I can find a line. And after a period of time, he does find the line and he starts to follow it out and he, and he clear visibility and he exits the cave. You know, you've got a finite amount of gas, so that's concentrating the mind as well. And as he's on his way out, he had that realization that actually what I could have done is I could have swum back into the cave and cut some of the line that's already placed where the visibility was good that safety line that's there, I could come back another day and lay it, but allow me to ke- get some string and fix some line, and then that would allow me to do something properly. But he said it was in, in the real situation, in the real tense bit of I don't know my way out from here, that thought process never crossed his mind. And it was one of the reasons that, that Steve had shared this story, because if he can help somebody else think differently in a stressful situation, then he can potentially save somebody's life. Now, he went back in a couple of days later to find out where things were, what was going on. And what had happened is the line was tied to a stalactite on the top of the the flooded cave roof. And that stalactite had broken free, fallen through the water, and then hit the silt in the bottom of the cave and then just sunk. And it took the safety line with it. Um, So that's not something that you would expect to happen but now you've got to be resilient. You've got to think around the problem. And how do you solve these things in real time when you've got a finite resource like breathing gas when you're underwater to deal with? Um, so when you talk about exciting stories, there's a okay, whole I'll bunch of like that.
0: I'll read it. <laughs> I'm in. So what, what's the book called? What's Because what, this podcast, will be, it's it's out in March, right?
1: Yeah, it's uh, 12th of March is the published date. It'll be on Amazon and Waterstones in the UK, and then there'll be a a Kindle version about three or four weeks later. Um, The book's called uh, Under Pressure, uh, Diving Deeper with Human Factors.
0: Under Pressure, Uh, Diving uh, Deeper with Human Factors.
1: Yep. Um, And, yeah, it's been a really interesting project to be involved in. Um, and I can already see another couple of books, um, in the future, uh, along these similar lines, uh, um, in different industries. Um, because as we know, it's, it's the storytelling that helps the learning. Um, and what I'd really like is, is to do something similar in other domains to say, let's tell a story and let's hang human performance off it because there are, and you need some good, interesting, exciting stories that people go, what, why would you do that? And then you explain about distraction or expectations or priorities or the performance shaping factors that are out there, the, the, all of these bits. And then people go, oh yeah, that's why it made sense for them to do what
0: they did. So what do you think? I told you it was pretty interesting. The The fact that he got the, the, the response rate he got on the letter asking divers around the world to write their stories is pretty remarkable. That actually is data. That tells us something. That tells us that the stories are out there and that the ways to share these stories are, are probably not readily available to people in their community or they can't build it in a large enough community. That's pretty important the fact that they're not anonymous that, that that they own the stories that actually speaks to the need i think for people to learn and improve and the risk of being outed in making a mistake while diving in a cave or whatever the story is is less valuable than the potential to learn and actually help the community grow and develop and if you ask me that is the definition of a just work culture. That's, that's exactly the kind of culture we're looking for. And that's a really good example of it. So that's a part of it. I, I want to thank Gareth a lot. I want to encourage you to run and, you know, buy a hundred copies of the book because they must make excellent presents. Uh, and they're easy to get. Give a look, give a listen, give it a read, see what you think. I think it'll translate well. Uh, especially for a lot of us who are always looking for these kind of quasi interesting examples to use kind of non-work related examples. And yet they still have all the power to teach us. So that is the podcast for today. Thanks for being a part of it. You're always welcome. And I'm glad to have you. If you want to be on, or you had an idea for a podcast, give me a shout. Um, I'm always wide open to listen to those until then learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be safe.